You're watching My Fellow Americans with your host, Spike Welcome to the show. Yes. Yes, thank you. Oh, I know it's great to be back. Thank you. Keep clapping. Clap if you believe. How would we know that you believe? If you didn't keep clapping, welcome to my fellow Americans. I am literally Spike Cohen. It is so great to join you today, Wednesday, May 29th, the year of our Lord, 2019. Thank you again for joining us. I'm so happy to be here. Uh, I would have been equally happy to be here last week, but I wasn't able to because I had like three guests and each one wasn't able to join uh, for a different reason. And so uh, we ended up not being able to do that. But glad to have you here. We, as always, are a Muddied Waters Media production. Check us out on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Anchor, Twitter, Periscope, iTunes, Google Play. We're everywhere. Check us out everywhere. Give us five-star reviews everywhere. Um, definitely check us out on Anchor.fm. More on that later. Um, that is our, our Anchor.fm slash Muddied Waters. Um, so uh, thank you again. And uh, be sure to share this video. I know what you're thinking. My uh, Facebook friends list or my YouTube followers list or what have you um, is desperately missing out on a roughly one hour long libertarian podcast. Um, well, that doesn't have to be the reality. You can share this with them. You can give them the gift of Spike Cohen. Kids love it. Be sure to share it. Uh, the intro and outro music uh, on this and every episode of My Fellow Americans is from the amazingly talented Mr. Joe Davi. That's J-O-D-A-V-I. Check him out on Facebook, SoundCloud. Check him out on Bandcamp. It's uh, joedavimusic.bandcamp.com. Buy his entire discography. When this video is over, immediately or, or podcast, however you're listening or watching this, uh, go to that. Buy his entire discography. Go ahead and do that. You'll be so happy. Thank you to Kroger for the delicious purified drinking water that I'm drinking on this episode. Bula Banaka. Mm. Good stuff. Shout out to Tehran Turks and Momnum. Guys, my guest tonight, we've actually had him on before. Uh, he is uh, a good friend of mine. I uh, describe him as the, uh, he has been described by me as the libertarian Jonathan Pye. Um, and uh, I'm hoping that'll stick any day now. Um, he is a, a political trainer and consultant. He's regularly featured on the Foundation for Economic Education. His work can also be found on Fox Business Network, Huffington Post, Independent Voter Network, and many other outlets. Uh, he is uh, author of the book, If You Can Keep It. Uh, and uh, most recently, uh, he had developed a program called The Weapons of Mass Persuasion. He is on, uh, he is on today to talk about something that he uh, has been working on, a project he's been working on. 
And I'm just going to let him get started because I, there's nothing I can do uh, to properly prepare you for him. So I'm going to go ahead and bring him on. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, welcome to the show, Mr. Robin Kerner. Robin, thank you so much for joining us. How have you been doing? Oh, you know, all right. Thanks for asking, mate. I uh, actually have just gotten back from the UK where I was visiting family for the first time in two years, which was uh, overdue, very overdue. Um, my family are getting to the age where um, a majority have health issues at any given time. Um, uh-huh. All the more reason to be there and uh, giving love and moral support. Right. Um, it, it was great. I was there just for a couple of weeks this time. Usually it's a bit longer when I go back, but I can't say usually because I haven't been back in two years before I had that. So, so two weeks and uh, had perfect weather all the time. And, you know, got to walk, you know, Poldark, the show, Poldark, have you heard of that? Pol- no. Poldark. Okay. So it's one of these big PBS, a BBC um, historical dramas that the Brits do so well that PBS, you know, then take and run. And it got right. quite a following here in the States. It's got a massive following in the UK. And it's actually about a guy that comes back from um, the uh, American War of Independence. Uh, and he's this you know, a Cornish landowner and he tries to restart his life in Cornwall, right? Which is where the center of the mining and the industrial revolution was. Cornwall mined the metal that built the industrial world in the Southwest of England. And um, it's absolutely stunning. The scenery, the landscapes are stunning. And um, anybody who doesn't know Poldark hasn't got a clue what I'm talking about. But any of your <laughs> listeners who have um, will be excited to hear that I was walking the coastline that you see in Poldark and, and you know visiting some of the little churches and chapels that appear in the show. And they look right now just as they did in the show, which is uh, set around the early 1800s. So that gives you some idea of uh of what i've been enjoying recently oh nice yeah well cool and uh we had someone ask uh what the jokes were that you were saying it wasn't really a joke what they missed when your audio was off Uh, (laughs) he was just asking a jew why he referred to the year of our lord um 2019 and i i I told him you know we live in a society basically um so (laughs) well that's good so uh so you've been doing well so the last time we had you on uh, we were talking about something that you had just started then called the Weapons of Mass Persuasion Program. Um, mm. And obviously, we have a whole episode about that. It is episode number, I want to say 17. I think it 17. was, no, 19. 19? Okay. 17? I don't know. It's, it is an episode that we had a while <laughs> back. Um, but if you will, just give us a brief, uh, yeah, 19, what, episode 19, Weaponized Libertarianism with Robin Kerner. Um, oh, yeah. That was the one where you famously uh, said that a good number of libertarians are, are mildly autistic, among other things. You said other good <laughs> things. Um, that was that. That was my takeaway. That's what I remember when people say what, what if someone yeah, said, that you might, know, that might have been your uh, what, summary. Was that your summary of of what I was something longer that I said a little t- more carefully? It, it's hazy. Not. It's hazy. It's hazy. It's hazy. It was it was it was almost 20 episodes ago. That's, that's I, cool. Something about autism and you. That was what I remember. And libertarianism. <laughs> libertarianism, <laughs> autism, Robin Kerner. And that, that made the, 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 what's the association? And that's now how I describe it to people. It was the autism, autism episode. It was the autism number 19, episode. Number 19, number 19. A prime number. And, and this is 37, right? So another prime number. Wow. So you so have we to really are... back at like 53 or something. So then we'll de- we're definitely doing the autism thing now. Cause, uh, <laughs> right? I'm on so a, yeah, you're right. Yeah, we're so. definitely, we're going, or at least good with numbers. 
If not, <laughs> I, I'm going to accuse everyone. I'm a physicist by training, right? This is this is one of the reasons why I don't just repeat nonsense when it comes to politics and political psychology. I actually care about getting things right rather than spouting whatever I've been indoctrinated with, which is what most universities seem to be about these days. But I always spend my time at university doing physics and and, and doing numbers. So uh, so yeah, yeah. Yeah, you were an actual like you were doing a thing. You weren't just theorizing. A thing, a real you're thing, actually doing yeah. an actual thing. Where you can't make shit up and get and pass exams. You you, you just can't. Yeah. So was it, did you transition into politics so that you could do that? So you could just make shit up and then was it like, man, this is so much easier to just, just make it up. You know, I you know, because I was a physicist and a philosopher of science, that's what I did my master's in. Um, I was always something of the intellectual purist. You know, I've always liked getting truth. I've always been like, a tr- I've always been a truth seeker. Right. So, you know, right. call, call, uh, call economics a dismal science and, you know, that you, you lay every economist or, or even politician down end to end and they still wouldn't reach a conclusion, right? I mean, it's like, I didn't, wasn't interested in, in that. that. That wasn't intellectually appealing to me. I have neither of those disciplines until um, actually I discovered, it was just a thing that turned me. It was a Peter Schiff. Have I ever told you this, Spike? No, the I don't Peter believe you have. Video? So, no. um, I mean, this is a little anecdote, but what the hell, it's relevant. Um, I, I was doing some research for a book I was thinking about writing. It was kind of the first incarnation of the book that you mentioned, you know, ultimately, uh, if you can keep it. And I um, was interested in the American identity and American self-perception. And I was just online, you know, researching. And I came across this YouTube video, Peter Schiff was right, which many libertarians and certainly Austrian economist types will no doubt have seen a version of. And um, here was this guy, Peter Schiff, predicting the housing crash right. um, before it happened. Not only saying it was going to happen and more or less when, but expounding the basic axioms on which he made the prediction and then doing kind of like the logical, the logic of the prediction and dumping out with a testable prediction of the kind that Karl Popper would have been quite happy with. And right. I was like, shit, this sounds like somebody doing like real thinking and kind of something a little bit science-y. Um, but he's doing... <laughs> he's doing a thing. He's actually doing yeah. a thing. He's doing a thing. And, and so I... And he'd mentioned in this video this weird thing called Austrian economics. Never heard of that. So I just... You know, next thing was I'll Google that. What's this dude in an investment company on a news show talking about Austrian economics? Like, sounds a bit obscure. Um, <laughs> so I, I looked that up and... You know, so I read the wiki page on that and that linked to libertarianism. And then I read the wiki page on that and the rest was history. So that's how I got into politics, actually. So it, you got shift-pilled, basically. Yeah, no, yeah. I, yeah I, I got shifted, you could say. You got shifted. Um, oh, that's even better. Yeah. That's yeah. even better than what I came uh, up with. That, that, was, that was the thing, yeah. yeah. Well, cool, cool. So, and, and weapons of mass persuasion, you know, give us, a, I guess, a, a, a you know, a... 30,000 foot view, you know, Reader's Digest version of what Weapons of Mass Persuasion okay, is. So, so Weapons that... of Mass Persuasion, which is, you know, weaponsofmasspersuasion.com. It's a program, more than 100 units, all videos. They're easy to consume with kind of interactive, um, you know, question and answers and also live webinars with me monthly. Uh, you can sign up to it on weaponsofmasspersuasion.com. It is a program in what I call the art of political persuasion. It basically, it's, all the political psychology you need to know to start actually not only winning arguments, but winning supporters, actually changing minds. Because as most activists know, especially libertarian ones, um, winning arguments 
doesn't usually win supporters. And in fact, it doesn't win. Period. Doesn't it? That's weird because I have I have told a lot of people that I'm right. And um yeah. And yeah. and 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 yet libertarians do not win elections as a result of my being right. No. no so no. some would say that that kind of proves the point that you were just making. Well, let's say, let's say this, it's certainly some a data point that. in favor. It's a t- yeah. Yes. Keeping my scientific hat on, I, I, yeah, I was going to say, yeah, that's yeah. very sciencey response. But yeah. uh, okay, yeah. so, cool. So, with that in mind, that that sort of, and that's sort of your mo. I mean, even before weapons of mass persuasion, weapons of mass persuasion right, right. was was that you have to actually relate to people, and you actually have to talk to people where they are and get where they're coming from, and build, you know, for lack of a better yeah. word. For the for intro, introvertarians, uh, you know, make connections with people and actually like have a human experience with people. You can't shove ideology and, um, you know, especially like especially a fringe ideology. But you can't, you know, something that's outside of the Overton window. You can't shove it down their face with, you know, even if it's right. We, we're all or most of us are either libertarian or libertarian leaning that are watching this. We believe we're right. Awesome. And we can tell them we're right, and that doesn't make us wrong, but it also doesn't really help. And it kind of makes us look, some would say smug. I would definitely say smug. I am am a serious smugger. This show is mostly about being smug. Um, It takes a lot to tell, for me, to tell my wife. Let me let me get let me get myself in here because this is this is a this is for for me to tell my wife my opinion is so important that I'm taking over the guest room and um, it's going to be my studio where I tell people how right I am once a week. So in the spirit of not doing that, um, uh, in, in the spirit of actually uh, building stuff with people, talk to us about your your new project and 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 you know what you want to want to accomplish with that. Okay, so before I do, just to your point, I just want to say, kind of encapsulate it by saying, look, you can't change somebody's mind unless you understand how minds are actually made up. Just like you wouldn't try and get a car working if the engine was faulty without understanding how engines work, right? I mean, it's at that level of basic. But right. people do that all the time when it comes to political persuasion. So you go through weapons of mass persuasion and you will actually learn the process by which people form political opinions. And then I'll teach you how to hack that process. And that's the simplest way to put it. Very cool. Um, but to your last question or your most recent question, um, where to begin with the new project? All right. Yes. So some people who've been following me on social media will notice, will have noticed that a few months ago, before I headed off to the UK, I um, I kind of put out a cryptic request for anybody who uh, follows my work, likes my style, and would be interested in finding out more about a project, um, a large project that I'm uh, I was developing, um, but that I'm going to need a significant amount of volunteer help for. Um, and uh, and a few people came forward, which was great. Um, and I've actually therefore lined up a little team, um, all of whom I have given more information about this project than I'm about to give to you. But the gist of it, Spike um, and listeners, uh, it is is kind of the following. Um, 
And I should preface it by saying, I think a lot of folks in the liberty movement know that, uh, if you like, my kind of claim to fame, my pedigree, if you like, in political persuasion was what I did with Blue Republicans. So like back in 2012, um, I created the biggest coalition for Ron Paul that the campaign identified and they were called Blue Republicans. Right, right, and right. Um, you know, actually the other side of the political spectrum, largely progressives. And I, I, I kicked it off with this article called If You Love Peace, Become a Blue Republican Just for a Year. And hundreds of thousands, if not more people, um, identified Blue Republican, many or most of them Democrats or independents, and switched parties and voted for Ron Paul. So that's, that's the story. Now, um, I say that because in some ways... Uh, what I'm looking to do now is is a version of that um, for modern times. But instead of uh, doing it for the benefit of a particular candidate, I'm doing it uh, with a more fundamental goal, a more general goal, you might say, of, um, well, of solving the problem that 70% of people, anecdotally and according to polls, uh, see with American politics right now, which is that um, we are off the end in terms of tribalism, polarization, divisiveness and division, and uh, a desire not to judge ideas without judging the people who have them, right? And there's a big... Right, right, right. But on CNN or Fox News or MSNBC or your favorite YouTuber um, in the political realm, and uh, pretty much you're going to hear, yeah, you know, everything is um, kind of effed up because we can't talk to each other, we don't trust each other, all of this stuff. So... Lots of people get that that's a problem. And in what I do, you know, giving speeches and presentations, you know, in the in the political world, anecdotally, right. I see that, that is indeed the case. So there's this idea that people want to, um, they don't want it to be this way. They don't want to have to vote for their tribe. They don't, um, you know, and, and, like this because there's no other option. Um, they certainly don't want to have to vote for the lesser of two evil tribes, but on the other hand, they hate themselves for doing it because at the end of the day, when you've only got a choice between two tribes, you're going to vote for the one that you think is, you know, not the most evil. Um, well, har harm reduction, like like doing the least harm possible when you're given two well, yeah, horrible I, options. Right. And I think people accept that it's except that here's the thing, like it's, it's only it's not really the least harm possible in principle. It's just the least harm that I can conveniently do at this election. <laughs> right and we're just caught up in that and people are sick of it um and 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 maybe a little more specifically um and again this is confirmed by a lot of polls and surveys now uh decent let's say decent conservatives decent liberals progressives um middle of the road democrats middle of the road republicans most of them are looking at the extreme identitarian wings on the left and the right, even on their side, right. and going, this is kind of nuts, right? Like, this is what we don't want to be. And right. so in some respects, you know, decent, normal, regular, moderate Republicans are feeling like they, they've got more that, that their Republican neighbor actually has more in common with them than the extreme version of the Democrat of which, you know, of the party they might be a member of. Right? Oh, easily. Um, yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah. So, so there's this readiness to kind of reorient. Um, and certainly I could talk a lot about how the pendulum has kind of swung to the extreme. 
um, on both sides, right? Um, and uh, so, so this is kind of the background. And when I say this to people, as I'm saying it to you, um, as you have just done, people say, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, obviously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So now the next point to make. Um, there aren't a lot of people arguing against that. Like, no, politics is great right now. I have really good choices and I'm happy with them. Right. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. Um, so, so, and what's happened is this pendulum is kind of hitting its limit in as much as this, the reaction has already begun. It, in this extreme, the seeds of the reversal have been sown. So, for example, you have um, organizations with names like More in Common, Purple America, right. Better Angels, that yep. are trying to facilitate, um, they're trying to do in, a, in certain ways what I try and do on a big scale with my political communication, which is to break through to people who may completely disagree with you, who may not trust you, who may be skeptical of your moral basis by all of the things um, that cause political dialogue to be so right. hard, to be persuasion to be so hard, especially in the environment that we just outlined. Right. So, I'm, so you've got these organizations that are, if you like, solving bits of the problem. So, um, so for example, one of those organizations actually finds Republicans and Democrats and facilitates discussions between them, right? And you have to be a Republican or a Democrat you know, on one of the, in one of the tribes um, to participate, right? And so right. That, that, that's a good way in, right? That's something that they're doing. Um, it's really, um, it, it's interesting. It's having some positive effect. Right. Um, and actually, if you're interested in that, check out an interview I did with a guy called John Wood Jr. from Better Angels, which you can find on YouTube. Just Google Kerner Wood, Ju John Wood Jr. or whatever. Um, right. I put it in the YouTube search. There's a lot of interesting things. Now, that's all great, but people's sense of the problem um, is very fundamental and very general. And what I do, best of all, is... You know, I, I can create political brands that facilitate effective marketing of good ideas. And so I see the piece of, I see the bit of the solution that's still missing. There's no brand that might enable me, let's say if I was a Democrat, to talk to my um, Republican friend, like, there's nothing I can hang my hat on that enables me to talk to my Republican friend without him feeling threatened by my democratic values. If I'm a Democrat, right? Like, there's nothing to break through the suspicion. There's nothing yeah, no, it's I a, can it, say it, that's it, positive it, it, about what I am. That everyone, isn't Democrat or Republican, right, right? Everyone is. Everyone is under uh, is waiting for their belief system to be attacked, and they've tied it to their in many times, many ways, uh, very often their self worth. So now you're not just attacking Absolutely. what they believe. You're attacking who they are, and we talked. I believe we talked about this in the the autism episode, um, where uh, you know where we said that you know people have this tied to who they are. We do. Listen, if you're watching an hour long podcast with two guys talking about libertarianism, this is a part of who you are. And when someone challenges that, even within libertarianism, when someone challenges that. Your your hackles go up, your your defenses go up, and you're no longer having a discussion. You're already in fight mode to the extent that you're now going to defend your belief system, throwing out any reason or logic. You've now you've entrenched your beliefs. This is what I believe. I don't need to 
uh, question or or examine that anymore because I'm not having a friendly dialogue with someone. I am now in a fight for the very you know the the, the integrity of my belief system and 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 myself as a person as a result of it. There's a lot of that, and it's basically a zero sum fight, right? And yes, and take yeah, you yes. Said, and then the fact that in American politics, if I'm a Democrat and somebody's talking to me who disagrees with me, right, which is the reason I'm having the discussion in the first place. <laughs> if he even moved enough to be having the discussion and to be engaging me and to be trying to change my mind, guess what? He's a, from, he's a Republican. In other words, he's from the opposition. Like, he's yep. not just from this other safe, you know, whatever it is. He's got the label that says, I can't trust him, right? And, and that is the stuff of American politics. Yeah, so, he's not just a Republican. He's an anti-Democrat. He's yes, against yes, me. Yes, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, right. Because, it, you know, because it's essentially oppositional. And it's not just oppositional. It's, you know, it, it, there's been a lot of moral mudslinging, right? So it's not oh, yeah. just that I, 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 I oppose you on your policies. It's that I don't trust where you're coming from. I oh, don't trust easily. how you're yeah. seeing or experiencing the world. Yeah, yep. people like you, um, you know, depending on what side you're on, you know, want to kill babies or interfere with my body, right? What, whatever it is, both of which are pretty shit, depending on what side of that issue you're on. Right? So there's <laughs> this visceral. It's visceral, right? Oh, geez, so, very visceral. Yeah, yeah. Right. So. This is all still the setup for where I'm going. Now, I mentioned blue Republicans. One of the reasons that the blue Republican idea was so powerful, why it actually created an identifiable coalition that actually moved the dial for Ron Paul's candidacy in 2012 to such an extent, was that I didn't just make the case that there was a great progressive argument, pro-peace, pro-civil rights argument for this ultra-conservative Republican, as they called him back then. Um, I actually created an identity that meant that I could still I self-identify as a progressive Democrat and then go and vote, become Republican for a year and vote for Ron Paul. And I, that, in that case, the identity was blue Republican. So right. I could call myself a blue Republican and a Democrat. So it was, it was a kind of a, a cover, right? It was kind of a way to enable me to move in a different direction according to my principles and conscience without feeling the threat against my identity, which was kind of what we were talking about, right? So now when it comes to solving the problem of the division in American politics, you've got to do the same thing. That psychological function has to be also served today. We have to give people a positive identity that they feel that they can adopt without saying, like, let's say if they're a Democrat, they can still be a Democrat, but they can be this other thing too, that when they identify somebody else with this other thing too, this other identity, those two people, even if they completely disagree on policy, on politics, even if one's a Democrat and one's a Republican, can say, you know what? I'm sure I'm going to disagree with you on everything, but because I have this other identity that you also have, I don't need to be threatened by the way this discussion is going to go because we are both positively buying into a certain set of principles with respect to how we conduct politics, not the policies we support, but how right. we're going to talk to each other, how we're going to assess our policies, how we're going to assess each other's arguments, how we're going to conduct those arguments. So what I've done is this new project is the creation of a, a new identity, a new brand. And you will know if it succeeds because when somebody um, asks you in the future, in a few years, what are your politics? You might say, 
well, I'm a libertarian, but I'm a <laughs> libertarian. Or I'm a Democrat, and I'm a, but I'm a her Democrat. Or I'm a Republican, but I'm a this new word Republican. So that's the signal. And it's going to be like that. Again, it's just that label that means we, it's a meta tribe or a tribe that transcends the, the politically divided tribes of Republican and Democrat. Um, and so it's going to do a lot of psychological work. Now, I'm not just coming up with a name and a brand. I am doing that. But in the launch of this, I am actually going to um, lay out the positive I'll call them again, metapolitical principles that I know people across the political spectrum can sign up to that reflect how they want politics to be done, that they can sign up to as individuals without conceding any of their passionately held current political views. So, for example, um, you know, the idea that uh, we should be able, at least in the first instance, to judge ideas without judging the people who have them. That's a good one. The idea that that's a, big, that's a, it's a good a, one, and a, that's probably a, that's a big one too. That's a big one. The yeah. idea that whatever your policy position, the moral burden is on the person who would impose on another person to make the case. You're not saying you ne- like so a libertarian say you never impose on another person. Blah blah. Right? Okay, that might be a bit too much for a progressive. But you can get a progressive to say, okay, if I'm going to make the case that I've got to take something away from someone and give it to someone, or I've got to tell somebody what they can or cannot do, the moral burden is on me to prove it. Now, that's a principle for judging policy that you can get conservatives and progressives to buy into. And, and there's, I'm going to hang you know, 10 or 20 such things on this one-word label that I am confident, if I can get the platforms, I can get enough people to say, you know, I'm a Democrat, or I'm a Republican, or I'm a Libertarian, or I think it's all a bunch of hogwash, but I'm a this thing. I'm an ex, words, yeah, yeah. This is how, I, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, so that's, that's the idea. And I've, you know, I said um, that a bunch of people have come forward and, and expressed an interest in this project. So I've actually uh, told them a lot of what I told you, and then I sent them um, a a launch article, an article that basically outlines um, what this is um, in, in more detail, in its specifics, and said, uh, you know, read this, and if you think you could say, yes, sign me up to this, regardless of what your current politics are, could you say you are also a this as well as being a Democrat, a Libertarian, or a Republican? If so, it's successful. And let me know if you want to volunteer to help me make it go mainstream. And, um, and I'm pleased to say that um, almost all of them uh, said, wow, yes, this is it. This is, this is what we've been needing. Um, so I say, I think it's, it's the, the, everybody has identified the problem at a fundamental and general level. The, this, the problem is described fundamentally and generally, but there isn't a solution that mirrors the problem that is understood equally as fundamentally and equally as generally. And a good writer, um, a good persuader, is able to put into words feelings that people have, things that people want, that they can't articulate themselves. They give, you know, an effective persuader can give others the way of articulating, of bringing into their conscious mind and therefore using something they feel at their gut. So that's the skill I'm bringing to what I now think is I think 
say 70% of Americans think is the fundamental problem with American politics, which is that it's broken. Very good. Very good. Yeah. And that's, that sounds very good. I actually, I have a few questions about this, this new uh, program, but first we are, I don't have, I usually have an amazing segue and I don't right now, other than we're about halfway into the episode. And so we have to do our, our little plug uh, to help pay our bills. I wish this paid our bills. It will soon. Uh, but uh, guys, are any of you looking to make a podcast? Because if you are, you want to check out anchor.fm. Anchor is the easiest way to make a podcast. And it is. Everything I'm about to tell you is actually true. So I'm not just, I'm not, I am shilling, but I'm not shilling shilling. Like this is true. All these things are true. It's the easiest way to make a podcast. Uh, Anchor gives you everything you need in one place for free. Uh, and you can use it right from your phone or your computer. I We use Anchor.fm, so literally these things are correct. Um, it has creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast, so it sounds great. Uh, that's also true. Um, they, will, they even distribute your podcast for you, so it can be heard anywhere on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spreaker, you name it, uh, many, many more. Um, and this is the best part and why we switched to them. You can easily actually make money from podcasting, uh, with anchor, uh, with no minimum listenership. Uh, we have gone to many other, uh, platforms that said, oh yeah, yeah, you make a lot of money and you don't make any money unless you have thousands upon thousands of, of, of listeners for each episode. Uh, if there's any kind of a dip, you're not making money anymore with anchor. You're making money right off the bat. We're actually making money the first time Muddy waters media actually making money um so uh if you are looking to make a podcast uh be sure to download the anchor app for android or uh iphones uh or go to anchor.fm uh to get started and that is my at least 30 second plug that is required to be made you'll be doing that as well once you're on anchor uh, and if you are on anchor be sure to let us know we'll check out your podcast we will positively review your podcast unless it's like nazism or something like that i, I, I can't promise we'll, we'll i mean if it's a terror like if you're advocating something terrible where we can't give a positive review for like you know i don't know some kind of eugenics thing or something like that uh communism like we, you know i mean there, there are limits to what but it, 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 it's something that isn't going to result in lots of people dying we will give you a positive review and uh we hope you give us a positive review on our anchor.fm uh be, be sure to check that out so Robin, back to the actual show. Um, <laughs> thank you for, for your patience on that. I'm still um, here. Yeah, thank you. Um, so give me, so with this, uh, this program. It's not a program. It's a new identity. It's a new uh, brand. It is a new brand, you could say. It's okay, so with, not something okay, you fair enough. This, it's something this, you literally just declare, I'm this. This is what I, I buy into these principles. It's literally oh, that. Okay, so... Let's. I'm going to do when I tell people I'm an anarchist. I'm going to do to you what what you did. Then, well, how will that work? And I have to describe the entirety of how a society will work. Um, fair enough. Um, so how will? So how does this play out? Give us an example of how a common political conversation is happening now compared to how it would happen under this oh, new. In, in a way, it's really really simple because okay. um, if you if you and I both say. Uh, I'm a this new thing. I'm just right. gonna, it starts with H. So I'm gonna just call it H for now, right? I'm an H and you say I'm an H. Then, then because we both know what that means, that signals to each other that we've signed up 
to basic principles of civility vis-a-vis -vis our political discussions and disagreements. So now we can actually have those discussions. Now I'm not filtering what you say through, um, uh, oh, I need to be skeptical because he's going to try and, you know, bait and switch me on some principle or try and, you know, pull me. Right, uh, right, right, right. To agree on this. And then he's got me, you know, eating babies. But like a lot of people seem to think of their political opponents. Um, and, and by saying I'm an H, I'm an H, you're both implicitly or maybe explicitly signing up to a set of principles by which you conduct the discussion and then judge the, you know, the opinions that you're expressing and the arguments that you're making. Um, and they are carefully chosen to not be politically loaded at all. Right. So you don't have to have an ideology. All you've got to do is basically believe in um, the fact that you uh yeah, you have to recognize the fact that everybody's maybe wrong on a few things, that people who disagree with you aren't um, necessarily evil, that, um, you know... You mean, uh, you mean, uh, you mean other people, not, not, not yeah, me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that okay. even okay. if you are absolutely omniscient right now because you have all the right answers <laughs> on everything, at some point in your life, you -like, that yes. didn't make you evil, right? So... Right. Um, yeah, so it's okay to talk to people who are on a journey because that's what you've been on. Um, well, I, 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 was, I was on a journey until I arrived at my final form, which is what I believe this very second, not next week. Next week, I will have gone off the rail. But right now, in this moment, the, the, the pinnacle of correctness. Yes, and that is, and people, obviously, we all feel that we're correct. Right. Um, whenever we yeah, put out our views, but we forget, and this does re relate to the hacking, the process by which minds are made up. We forget the process by which we got there. We yeah. forget, for yes. example, that, um, you know, although we experience ourselves as believing certain things, especially in politics, for the reasons, the logical reasons, the factual reasons we give when we're, let's say, having a Facebook argument, trying to convince somebody else to agree with us. Um, yeah, what we forget is that... Um, what we forget is that maybe we were exposed to our current opinion by somebody who we trusted, right? Now, trust in the source of information or in the right. source of an argument is a massive driver in whether we actually end up believing the argument, right? Um, oh, yeah. Probably the biggest but, one. It, yes, arguably it is. So you know, if you can remind people of that, um, like I just did there, even though... You know, people will still experience themselves as believing what they believe for the reasons they think they believe it and, you know, believing they're right every day. Um, if you remind them of that, they go, oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. And it knocks them out of that dogmatic space. Right, that right. Cognitively impositional space. Um, so, but, you know, there, there's more to, and there's other things like that. So in this, in this, um, this new brand, one of the principles is the idea that, um, Will that I measure my compassion by the good that I do, not just the strength of my intentions. Now, a lot of folks who aren't on the left will Here, look say, at folks say on that the left a, say that again because that's a big deal. What you just said, say say that one more time. I measure my compassion by the good that I do, not the strength of my intentions. That's a big one. Anyway, I'm sorry. Then, go ahead. Yeah. Now, but again, whether you're conservative, libertarian, progressive, none of the above, most people will will buy that. That you can say that to them and they'll go, yeah, you know what? I experienced myself as, you know, being compassionate because of, of my intentions. But yes, I recognize that at the end of the day, if I am passionately, well-intendedly 
advocating for eating babies and eating babies doesn't actually do any good, then there is a moral responsibility on me to stop advocating for it, right? That the fact that I felt really strongly about that yesterday isn't, isn't actually a justification for maintaining that view. So there are certain things that, um, like that, that you're basically simply signing up to without conceding any policy, as I say, or any political view, um, by adopting, by declaring that you are an H, um, I, which is what I'm going to call it for now. Um, I'm. Uh, I actually this word. I am. Uh, one of our one of our viewers has described it as principal H. Principal H. So we're going to go that, with that. Principal that H. Work, principal H. Thank you to whoever that was. Chris Reynolds, um, attorney at law, who is uh, very often, ironically, he's also the, uh, he is the ongoing sponsor of the Muttered Waters of Freedom, Chris Reynolds, attorney at law, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, hate minute. Um, so, to, you know, not principal H not being applied in that situation, uh, but, uh, but he did name it. So this is now his thing too. So. I, okay, principal H, I, I like that as a, uh, uh, is that like a holding, um, a holding name for it? Yes. Um, yeah, it's a placeholder so name. Yeah, it's a placeholder name. Yeah, yeah. Placeholder name. That's great. Um, so, th- so there's a few. So um, libertarians might like this one. Um, first do no harm works in politics too. Now, that's quite a libertarian idea, first do no harm, right? Again, yeah. This, yeah. where is the moral, moral burden? But progressive conservatives will say, yes, that is a value, right? Um, so again, I'm taking the ideology out. It's meta-ideological. It's meta-political. And it's a positive statement of what not doing tribalism, polarization, and divisiveness looks like. It's not just complaining about those things. It's the positive opposite. Um, that's what Principle H uh, is, is all about. So, um, yeah. So, basically, this name, the, 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 it's the power of the word, right? Like, like blue, with, blue Republican. Literally, just by writing one article and coining the phrase Blue Republican... All over the world, and that's literally true, all over the world, people identify as blue Republicans. I met a guy, I might have told you this before, in, uh, over lunch in Belgium, in Leuven, Belgium, who in the course of a conversation discovered I was the blue Republican guy and told me he'd got on a plane to New Hampshire to hand out blue Republican leaflets. Now, oh, wow. That happened, yeah, that happened because, um, that happened because this identity allowed people to, to know that they weren't the only one who felt this way, right? There were a bunch of them. They were Team Blue Republican. And these, this is a new team, Team H, right? So you can be Democrat, Republican, but you can all be on Team H. And, and again, that's not why this is going to work. That's not the only reason. Another fundamental reason why this is going to work, if I can get the exposure that this is going to need, is right. because... There's enough people right now out there already feeling it, right? I'm not having to convince them. They're already feeling it. They just need somebody to put into words the thing that's going to make them go, aha, yes, that's it. That's what I've been feeling. Yes, 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 right? Right. Um, And so it's, you know, and that's important. If I'd done this at another time, it wouldn't have the power. Just like Blue Republican at another time would have been meaningless. Um, It's it's a That was a very unique time for that because you had... You had, uh, you had a, a situation where where someone who transcended the standard left right narrative who had actually made it to the stage of you know I mean he didn't, didn't yeah, yeah. barely no, register I, but he yeah. actually made it to the debate stage and people were talking yeah. about him and he had ads on TV and you know he was a legit candidate um, who 
a hardcore right-wing Republican could find every bit as much in him as a hardcore left-wing Democrat could that they agreed with, even if there were other parts of it that they either didn't agree with or found, you know, scary or, you know, were maybe, you know, neither here nor there on. Ron Paul, like, he transcended a lot of that because he was a libertarian. And, um, and you know, that brand applied to Bob Dole or just voting Republican in the 2002 midterms or whatever like none it wouldn't have fit during those times right right you, the blue republican brand wouldn't have made sense. yeah blue yeah blue republicanism yeah, yeah. would not have made yeah. sense yeah. for standard Paul, issue yeah it wouldn't, have, it wouldn't have been substantive yeah absolutely right. um yeah so so that's it you know and 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 you know and an important point about this this identity thing uh which you know you broached early on is, is that you've got a you know if you do identify something and you've got f- friends who identify with that thing you you can't you won't do anything where you, where people that you like care about might feel that you're betraying them or betraying your your principles that you hold together and so you know the solution so so for, so for today you know if i'm a republican that wants more civil discourse more effective discourse with a democrat I need some way of being able to talk to a Democrat without all my Republican buddies that I still like, who I still want to work with politically, whatever it might be, thinking I've gone to the dark side, right? And that's the important of ha- importance of having the transcending new brand or identity. So, you know, the reason Blue Republican was important was I could be a Democrat Blue Republican and go to my Democrat friends and say, look, I'm still a progressive. I still believe in liberal principles. I'm, I haven't, I'm in the Republican Party. I'm not of it, right? I'm a blue Republican, not on the dark side. And so, you know, these, this is why branding is so important politically. This is why political identity, why in a way all politics are the politics of identity. I've got a unit in my, um, a couple of units in my weapons of mass persuasion course, um, understanding, you know, which about understanding the sense in which that's true. All politics in some way are the politics of identity. I don't mean man, oh. woman, gender, left, right. Um, but know, it's still uh, an identity. It may be individual identities or an ideological identity, but it's an identity. They're, they're yes. tri- it's tribalism, team sports, whatever you want to call it. It yes. is absolutely identity-based. They have found their home, and you're attacking their home. Get away from my home. Right. In many cases, that's, that's exactly right. And so you have right. to understand how that operates, which, yeah. again, is what the, the program is about. So, so this, like Blue Republican, was designed for that purpose at that time. This, Principle H, is, de- is designed for... Um, you know, this time and the major fundamental problem in American politics. And by the way, for libertarians, um, you know, there is a political open goal or a meta-political open goal right now, um, which is this disaffection with mainstream politics. Uh, and the way that you you succeed when there's mass disaffection with mainstream politics, and I've written articles about this and I've done speeches about this, is you reflect back the feeling of disaffection to the disaffected majority, right? Or large disaffected minority. You don't tell them what you think ideologically, right? This is how the Brexit party won in 45 days, right? They didn't go around trying to convert anybody on any ideology. There is no ism in the Brexit party, right? Well, obviously there is a philosophical basis, obviously. I mean, here I am as a liberty guy, I'm all about the Brexit party, right? But they're not right. saying, right, let me explain to you sound money. No, 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 no. The, what, the, the hook is, 
the hook is your liberty is being taken away by people that don't give a damn about self-determination and your right to choose your represent your you know your your representation um, right. and uh and you're really pissed off about it because you've been lied to and guess what you have been lied to and guess yeah. what that's completely shit and unacceptable right. that's how you bring people over to you politically then when they're listening to you because they're thinking this guy kind of sees the world, feels the world like I do. Then right. that guy's going to be interested in your ideology. Then they're going to start asking you questions about policy. And then when they start asking you questions, they're telling you what you now tell me about what you believe. I will be disposed to accept because I now trust you morally. I identify with you enough that I not only am I not threatened by wherever you're coming from, I think I'm going to like it and it might answer some of my concerns because I see you share my concerns. Right, right, right. right. So again, Nigel Farage is one of the best people in politics in the English-speaking world at this. Um, and, um, and, 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 and not, just, not only is he good at this, I mean, Brexit Party, like you said, in 45 days, now it kind of is from the ashes of the UKIP or whatever, but the UK Independence Party, but not, I mean, it's, it, it is, it didn't exist two months ago and right. it is against a headwind of major media and and what we're told is popular opinion that you know yeah. Brexit is about you know nativism and ra- you know yeah, thinly yeah, yeah. veiled thinly like veiled racism was, was was a hard right conservative right yeah fascism and you know yeah. this is about you know destroying our our you know uh, uh you know destroying the future of europe and and you know you know throwing your uh, the uk yeah, back that. into the dark ages and we're going to this is how world wars start is you know all this crap and yeah. and and yet and you know and the polls always show you know, Brexit always outperforms the polls because people feel browbeaten into not publicly sharing this. And yet, just to prove your point, they're browbeaten, browbeaten, browbeaten. And they go, yeah, well, you know, I guess I'm I'm in favor of Remain or they just don't answer. And they go, well, you know, I'm not really sure what I think. And then they show up to the poll and they vote Brexit or vote, you know, yes on Brexit for the referendum, which was not supposed to win. Uh, no. That was, you know, we, we talk about, so Donald Trump, we talk about the fact that the polls showed he wasn't going to win, but yet in those last couple of weeks, it showed that he was going to do roughly what he did, which was come about two percentage short of the popular vote. And the good pollsters were saying, "Hey, look, that means he could win the electoral college by a you know slim margin," which he did. With Brexit, right up to the end, they were saying Brexit Brexit's going to lose. Brexit is going to lose, and it won because of basically your principle being applied. By one yeah. side and the opposite being applied of, well, do you support Brexit or do you support yeah. Remain? Remain yeah, or how would, yeah. yeah, or are you a xenophobe? Yeah, are you a, you are, you know, a racist homophobe who wants to erase trans people? Uh, and, and people go, yeah. well, I don't want to do all that. So I guess I'm Remain. But yet the Brexit people are saying, hey, look, you've been lied to. You may not agree with us on everything, but we all have to agree that this isn't, you know, we, we, that this isn't a good, you know, a good thing that's happened and we need to get out of it. And people are like, I'm going to quietly agree with you. And, and that's a perfect example of that. Um, uh, Chris Reynolds says, uh, the H is the answer. We'll definitely get the Dems and Republicans to stop the fighting. That's uh, that's what we hope for. He also said, uh, well put, Robin. We've all been lied to. That's a, a good common ground. Uh, hard to get... Um, Hard to get agreement on that though, and that's that's the problem which we'll which we'll talk about. Well, now, in, what... in in I mean, just to be clear, um, to, to his point, uh, the the being lied to in is is 
is very stark in the UK right now, right? I mean, that has legs. Um, I mean, that can be at the core of a political campaign in the UK following right. the Brexit debacle in a way that it couldn't be in the US. I mean, we're being lied to all the time in the US, but we're being lied to all politicians are lying to us all the time anyway. Yeah, in that kind of low grade level. It's a more abstract thing. Right, right, right. right. Yeah, but, yeah. but this was just like, you know, we will honor, yeah, you're going to have a vote. We're going to honor it. Oh, no, we won't. Like, it, it's nope. so black and white. Yeah, um, yeah. And so the sense of injustice, which I, I, again, this is a big thing in political persuasion. You've got to speak to the disaffection, and the best type of disaffection is is raw injustice, human, non-ideologically mediated injustice. Um, it's so raw and stark uh, that... You know, um, that's really the the kind of the substantial. Yeah, it, yeah, it's it's a vis. Yeah, it's a visceral. Like we said, we do this. Yeah, we did the opposite of this. Yeah, vote for us again anyway, as opposed to yeah. sort of the political machinations of you know promising this in in degrees and then exactly. give the, it. Yeah, it's a complete like the build the wall fiasco is like he said he's going to build the wall. He's still saying he's going to build the wall. He's kind of saying he's going to build the wall. A little bit of the wall's been built, but it's not like he said he'd build the wall and then said I'm not building the wall. Screw the wall right, and then right, you know right, so it's right. it's not as yeah. black and white a thing, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, as I'm you know, I I um I made a point in my latest article which I wrote in April about the Brexit thing. Um, and I called it in the mother of parliaments, this is how democracy dies. That um, I put it this way, and, and I'd never, I, I haven't seen anybody else put it this way, but the truth is that parliament actually criminalized the implementation of the result of the referendum. <laughs> they actually criminalized it. Like, you can't make that shit up. It's not, not only are we not going to, um, are we not going to honor the referendum, we're going to make it illegal to do so. I mean, you can, like that's some serious messed up. Have stuff. you got a license for that Brexit? That's the standard <laughs> joke. That's the joke about you know with British. You know, do you have a license for, for yeah, my yeah. horrible British accent? But uh, no, yeah, yeah, you got a license I, for that Brexit. So um, yeah, so it's in you know interesting times. Um, yes. But you know the thing that that ghouls me, and I spend a lot of time. Um, you know, fight. Obviously, you know, my main fight is for liberty in the United States. That's where I've made my home. Um, but it, it, seeing what Farage can do, basically following the exact recipe that I've laid out for the Libertarian Party time and time again, um, and knowing that there's a massive political open goal here in the U U.S. right now, um, and that nobody, no, there's nobody walking through it. And in a way, my 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 Project H is is the beginnings of doing that. Although I don't have the resources of an actual political party. Um, but yeah, it's galling to me because I'm seeing the wasted opportunity. Um, you know, I, I, I mean, today on my, uh, on my Facebook feed, I noticed something from the Libertarian Party. What, well, you know, the level that they're at is, um, you know, what kind of tote bag do you, do you prefer? I'm like, I mean, is that is that where we're, what is this we're, what we're doing today? Life? Yeah, yeah. I, I'm just like, yeah. Meanwhile, Farage. I mean, you couldn't have a better case study. It's going on right now, right, right. now, in a country where they speak the same language, right? I, I mean, it's it's it's. Oh. It's not even that far away. It's really not even that far away. If you look at the world in general, it's what New York to London is roughly the same as New York to Los Angeles, right? 
to give or yeah, take? Yeah, it's, it's not a lot in it. I mean, it's a, yeah, it's not a lot in it. Yeah, so yeah, I mean, you, this can, is... you can do that flight in five hours. Yeah, across the pond is a real thing. It's a, it is literally across, and and the more narrow part of the pond too. And yet yeah, here we yeah, are. Right. So what? Just break down the tote bag argument because I completely missed this. What? What? We don't want to devote too much time to this, but give me forty no, seconds. I don't, of I, don't, what... I don't want to upset people. I mean, I you know I've seen this. I've seen this in organizations that I've um, worked with nonprofits, right? Where. You know, I'll be on the marketing guy. I'm the communications guy, right? So somebody sends me, oh, we should get bags and pens and blah, and blah, and blah. And I'm like, why? How many minds are going to change? Well, I was like, no, no, no. How many minds are going to change? Like, From a libertarian pen. How right, many right. Does it get? Like, show yeah. me the data. If you can show me that 100 tote bags is one vote, I'm interested. But if you just are doing it because you can't think of anything else to do, then yeah. I know exactly what I can spend that money on. And I can guarantee that it will move minds. But having a tote bag doesn't move a mind. Now, you can say, oh, yeah, but it keeps the brand and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, no, 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 no. Look, it, 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 yeah, you know what? If I start, I will just go off. And I'll be, John, <laughs> I'll be the libertarian John Pye again. So, <laughs> Which is great. Listen. I'm I, back, man. Yeah, exactly. So that, I mean, people loved it. So if you want to start, ran- listen, the more... You get like that. The people Liberty's want this. Really important. I know. You, you come here to talk. Back. Yeah. Principal H, you morons. Um, so, uh, <laughs> so, so dialing back. So one thing that I, that struck me and why I had you on the first time, besides the fact that I love your writing and I love your reasoning. We don't agree exactly on how libertarian is. You're not completely correct. On libertarianism, as I am. Well, I'm not uh, Spike, so how could I? Yeah, you're not Spike <laughs> level libertarian. I mean, as but who? But to be fair, who is besides me? <laughs> only um, Spike. Only yeah, Spike. Only, only only I could do that. Um, but so y- y- what I liked about you is, uh, and what you're what you're doing is, it, it was at the same time that I was getting into um, uh, stoicism, and instead of reacting to what people do and say going internal and saying, well, why did I react that way? Why did I have that kind of reaction to this? And, um, and, and, um, and, and this is sort of stoicism applied to politics. And so an example of that is. So I let used to me be- see self-awareness, if I may. I mean, because okay. stoicism has a connotation that I don't think you need to, ha- I, I know what you're saying, but yeah. stoicism has this kind of connotation of, um, of inner strength, of, of inner assertion that I actually, and that you do need that because you need some inner strength to like, to, to self-observe, right? When you're in an argument politically, let's say, and you, right. you want to go at the, dis- the thing that the person said that was wrong, and you do need some kind of self-control, which is what stoicism is about, um, right. to stop yourself reacting. In other words, to be, changed not by what comes at you but by what comes from you that all has flavors of stoicism but i actually in in many ways i, I think of myself much more as like a, a hedonist or an epicurean yet i i am about this self-awareness bit there is a minimum of self-control that i think what i'm about it is re- yeah requires but right. i just think it's, it's, I guess what I'm saying is it's not as hard as all that. It's not as hard as stoicism. It's just getting bored of losing all the time. 
or being <laughs> ineffective, right? Like it's it's that's a bit of work, but it's not a ton of work because the payoff is so immediate. Right. right. It's like it's not like self-flagellation. It's not like you know going without. No, no, no. You're not decon. You're not deconstructing who you are as a person. Yeah. I mean, I went. I've got. I'm going through a, a a journey that you don't necessarily have to go to through to apply this, but this is part of that. And and one thing I noticed was when I sort of became an anarchist because I, before that I was sort of more of a libertarian leaning conservative. And then as I was kind of really questioning the state and the whole thing, what I found is that I actually now, even though my belief system is far further from the, you know, what Tom Woods calls the, you know, three by five uh, card of allowable opinion or what some people call the Overton window or whatever. Now that even though it's further outside of it, I'm actually slightly more relatable to some people or they're more open to hearing what I have to say because now they approach it from like almost like a, a curiosity like, well, what even is that? As opposed to when I would say, well, you know, I'm kind of a, a libertarian-leaning Republican and they'd hear libertarian or Republican and yeah. if unless a Republican would hear libertarian and they go, oh, you mean like those Ron Paul idiots that want the terrorists to win? Or... Uh, or a, a Democrat who's just like, oh, you mean so that the, everyone's dying in the streets so that the rich people can be, you know, twenty percent richer or whatever? And I'm and 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 now when I'm like I'm an anarchist, I still get people that are like, oh, so you want to, you know, throw Molotov cocktails at, you know, at you know, innocent people or whatever? But, but for the most part, people are almost more like, well, what's that about? And and one thing I found is when I'm around a bunch of conservatives just dunking on, you know, progressives, liberals. I tend to find myself sticking up for liberals slash saying, well, you guys kind of do that too when it comes to this. And then when liberals are doing the same thing, bashing conservatives, I find myself kind of going, well, you know, you guys kind of do that too. And conservatives mm -hmm. actually don't want people to die. And, and what, and mm -hmm. I've, what I've, what I've learned is why don't I maybe do that when I'm talking to a conservative instead of immediately putting my, you know, anarchist fight the state at all costs, hackles up why not approach this the same way i approach liberals talking about this conservative and say this guy doesn't this you know person guy woman whatever doesn't mean ill they just you know that i disagree with with how they're gonna do it but they don't actually want bad things to happen they want good things to happen they're actually very passionate about wanting good things to happen and i need to have a conversation with them about what that means as opposed to just beating them over the head and calling them a bootlicker or whatever right and and you know to put some you know something specific on what you've just said if you can translate uh you know the good intentions of a conservative to a liberal that means let's say you can understand the liberals worldview better than if you couldn't do that now, given that you can that you can understand the liberals worldview enough to translate the conservative let's say preferred policies into liberal speak right to explain right. to a liberal okay here's why the policies don't actually mean what it looks like they mean to you from your liberal paradigm but that they actually can also come out of a good intention um but in a way, let's say applying applied differently or right. filtered differently through a different experience of the world. If you can do that, then necessarily that understanding of the liberal can enable you to better persuade the liberal of your anarchist uh, views. Because um, it's the yeah, same, absolutely. same yeah. understanding you're using. And uh, you know, one of the ways I put that in my training is, look, if you want to sell you know, product, 
yeah, product P to person X, you better understand person X better than you understand product P. Oh, d- yes. Yeah, it's, it. it's all about selling. It has nothing... Yeah. That person's not primarily concerned about your product. They're concerned about themselves and the people they care about. And if you come to them relating it to how... I mean, if you look at an ad for something, it usually starts with, do you have this problem? Well, let me tell you about blah, 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 blah. You're not able to have a conversation with someone with an ad, but you can try to relate to them in that you know, 15 to 30 seconds that you have. When I I did my little plug for Anchor FM, I start by saying, are you looking to do a podcast? Let me tell you... Knowing what it's like to have to deal with podcasting, let me tell you why I think Anchor FM is a good idea for a podcast. This is technically not a second plug, um, but uh, you know, I'll get paid. I will accept the money from Anchor FM if they decide it's a second plug, but it's not. But you know, relating to you need you have this issue or problem or or need this solution. Well, here's something that can help with that, and that's sort of what you're saying, applying it to to politics. Now, let me ask you this. And by you, the way. What I was saying earlier about reflecting back the feeling of injustice, that is doing this in politics. That thing you just said, the reflecting back the injustice, that the, the felt injustice is the letting someone know that you, f- that you feel their pain, that you get their problem, the thing they need to solve. And if you successfully do that and they go, I identify with this person, there's that word ident- identification again, yeah. right? Then whatever solution you give them in the next paragraph is the one they're going to be most likely to believe. Yep. It's why Donald Trump, it's why a billionaire who in no way relates to the average person and not just because he's a billionaire, there's a myriad of reasons why he is nothing like pretty much anyone else. But he started his campaign by saying, I know you're worried about X, Y, and Z and I'm going to do something about it. And Putting aside what you think about, I mean, again, I'm not a fan and most people watching this are not a fan or are fans to various degrees or they may like that he owns the left, but they don't really like what he does other than owning the left. The man related to people, to blue collar workers, this is a guy that outsources and hires immigrants, but he was still, he still went to people and said, look, you're worried about this. No one else is talking about it in any real way. And I'm going to do something about it. Okay, and of course so, he so this is an important principle of political persuasion of, of scoring a political open goal. And I have said it in these terms to the LP time and time again. Um, and this is what Nigel Farage does. If you want to actually create a, a massive insurgency in a short period, a, a ballot box, that the injustice that you reflect back to someone has to simultaneously be an injustice that all of the mainstream political options are seen as being as making worse. Right? Yeah, right. So all of the mainstream options for Brexit are not solving the problem. They're making it worse. They're frustrating Brexit. So that's a political open goal. The Donald Trump example is a really good one, and I use this example too. You remember? I don't know if we we maybe we mentioned this, Spike. Um, you can stop me if. I mentioned this in the show, last show we did, number 19. Um, but th- that time when um, uh, Donald Trump said uh, about the Mexicans not sending their good men, they're sending the rapists, et cetera, et cetera. And, and the, I, do you remember I, I that? Don't, yeah, I, I don't, I, we, we may have talk talked about, about Yeah, I'm not sure. Okay, I don't great. think, I don't so think we I'm did. I'm going to talk about it now. Okay. You remember like that week, all of the media, like immediately all of the media went, ah, oh, it's over now. It's over now. Yes. He's not going to win. And yep. that week, he was top of the Republican pack, right? Yeah. So yep. let me decode that for you, right? What 
people heard what when he said they're not sending the best man immigration we got to stop this blah blah right, blah right, was right. it isn't fair that people who break rules get stuff that people like you who don't break rules don't get yeah that is what all the blue collar people who were like i don't know about this immigration thing maybe it's complicated but i know this thing's not fair right yep. that was what they heard and that is mm -hmm. what he meant yep. and, and and you can argue about the the actual because he's donald trump and he says all kinds of rubbish <laughs> right right the actual specifics of how many rapists and are they sending rapists in the more mexico of course you yeah you can argue it all yeah of course of course the, the point and the fact was like you could go back check check it out what the media said that week and what happened to the polls because he went to double the parlor now he's in in the white house and 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 the point being that immigration more than any other topic is one that everybody knows both parties consistently have not solved, have yep. got in the way of solving, have mm -hmm. kept saying one thing and not delivering, right? So, and it, it's like, you, it's like tech, you can, it's like you can take it out of a textbook. Like, yep. I, 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 but, but I'm just waiting for real liberty folks in America to just do some of this. I, I, I just, um, you know, I'm, I'm ready to help, but, you know, I, I what, what it, it's it, it's tough for the reason that I'm you know uh, and I'm I'm a, a guilty of this as well. We are an ideology driven group, and many of us, I'm not one of them, but many people within libertarianism like the fact that it is fringe. Whether they consciously know that or not, they maybe have always been on the outside. This is a group of outsiders, and they. Sort of want, looking at how Larry Sharp, Larry Sharp called himself an anarchist. He's been on my show and he said, I'm an anarchist at heart. I live in New York. We're nowhere near anarchy. We have to take steps. People were less upset about that than they were about the fact that he was like a cool, relatable guy. Now, some of them, yes, were very upset on ideological grounds. You're talking about giving 20000 uh, uh, you know, $20,000 per student or whatever. How is that libertarianism? And, and he explained it, you know, because the alternative is spending several times more for garbage. And, you know, I'm, I'm presenting a, a, you know, something to, to, I guess, you know, yellow pill people into libertarianism, but a lot of people, they just didn't like that. He was like more like a standard issue politician or a standard issue person that was, relatable and wasn't you know politics first and was actually trying to build relationships and things like that and and so there was this sort of aversion to um like popularity and and so you're, yeah, you're, no, you're fighting that right. to I mean, some extent too yeah i mean you know and that's fine too i mean it's not an, it's not a an either or proposition right no of course I mean, of course you can have both you can have i mean we need both right we you know it, it's fine to be to want to be fringe, to be in it for lots of personal reasons. And this goes to my, um, or reasons of personality. And this goes to my earlier point that we don't, we think the reasons we believe things are the reasons we give for ju to justify them in an argument. But that's right. not the reason we actually came to the conclusion. The reasons right. we actually come to the conclusion uh, include many um, kind of subconscious things, many things to do with personality, to do with, you know, trust. Yeah. Well, our biography, you know, the experiences we've had and the people we've met and what right. people said when and all these, yeah, there are other factors that operate on a different level. Um, so, you know, that's all, that's all there. But yeah, I mean, some of the people who get upset, um, when others don't do it their way, I mean, part of that can be, um, that, well, if we all behave like that, then not only are we not fringe, we're not separate and we're not superior. 
it's almost like we're coming down to the level. We're giving right. too much uh, respect, too much credibility. But you know, in, in any movement, you're going to have all, excuse me, all kinds of these folks. But the point is that who's, you know, who's running the ship, right? The, the point is that are the people who don't want to actually be effective, who have, let's say, a personal interest in the group with which they identify not being effective, are they dominating or are they part of the bigger picture? Are they, yeah. are they frustrating the vehicle or just any, you know, a part of the vehicle? Um, so, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, and the fact is that, I mean, again, stating a principle unequivocally isn't the same as acting on principle. Those two things are different. Um, st stating That's a clear yes. commitment yep. to a an end destination um you know the ideal world and a, a clear commitment to it is not the same as believing that necessarily the only way to get to it is in one step right they're completely different things they don't follow from each other right. um, and in fact you know, the last thing I said is obviously patently false. And you can show that it's false, not just historically, you can show logically that it's false. Um, and actually, I wrote a, um, I wrote an article, it's one of the most academic things I've ever written doing just that called uh, Prince, uh, Purism isn't principled in an impure world. Um, and uh, it's one of the most um, careful things I've ever written. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, we could do a whole not, show. Not, not, not the title as much as the actual thing. But yeah, um, so, no, exactly. And that's the thing. It's, it's, and again, I'm an anarchist, like hardcore. I mean, there are a lot of people that call themselves anarchists and then you scratch the surface and there's still some, so I literally just don't want any government. And then I want, once we don't have a state, I want us to then examine a lot of the hierarchies that we have and, and ask, are these hierarchies we actually want or are they hierarchies that are born of the state? So, I mean, I really want to break down a lot of stuff even post-state. With that said, I understand that the person living on this side of me in the house over here will explain to you why we need... Uh, oh, I probably shouldn't do that because um, I don't want people to figure out which neighbor I'm talking... Neighbors... Well, you don't people. know which wall. You don't know which wall this is, but a, a neighbor in my neighborhood will explain to you why you know separating children from their you know families at the border is absolutely necessary, and then and then you'll have someone else explain why like it should be illegal. Uh, you know that I should be paying all of my workers at least fifteen dollars an hour, and you know and 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 then someone else why. Uh, you know, why they think healthcare is a right. And then someone else, you know, why, and these, you know, it's not, these aren't stupid people. This is a nice affluent neighborhood, you know, but, but we're so outside of what even a moderate libertarian or even a Ron yeah. Paul is, it sure. would be talking about, or even a Larry Sharp. That's so far outside of what, what people are even thinking that, you definitely have to even just try to relate to them. Now, let, let me, you, you mentioned abortion and before I let you go, I want to, I want to kind of end on talking about, uh, really how this applies when the rubber hits the road. Um, so abortion is a perfect example of a, of a true wedge issue, a true, like there is very little common ground. You very few people talk about, you know, being moderate in abortion, even though the reality is most people are probably moderate in abortion. They just aren't allowed to signal that you've got one side that says that the, so we'll start with the, the pro-choice crowd and I'll use the terms that they use the, the pro-choice crowd 
that says, you know, that, uh, uh, it, it, you know, this is my body or a woman's body, uh, and it's her choice. And the people that are, uh, that want to, you know, criminalize abortion at any level, uh, I'm going with the most extreme interpretation the, the people that want to criminalize abortion, even up until birth, what they're really saying is they want to control my body. They think I'm the property of the, their property and the property of the government. And, you know, this is a throwback to, you know, uh, you know, uh, uh, the white male patriarchy that says that everything belongs to me and I can tell everyone what to do. Um, so that's one extreme. Then the other extreme is the, 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 uh, the, the pro-life side that says that even saying that it's okay to do sex selective, you know, where, where they're selecting from embryos, which one that they want. So not even just abortion at any, at even the earliest stage, but pre-implant, pre-implementation, implantation. I, I don't know the term. Yeah. yeah. Pre-implantation. Yeah. Anything in which a conceived embryo, zygote, whatever is being terminated is an assault on human life and dignity. And it's a throwback to it's murder. They say it's murder. It, yeah, murder. it's 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 yeah. murder, and it's a throwback to any other to any other genocide or or attempt to um, you know dehumanize a human. And and both sides have valid arguments to make. And ultimately, what they're arguing over is when personhood begins. But they're too busy throwing uh, hyperbole at each other and screeching at the other about how they want horrible things for all of humanity. Um, to, to ever actually get into the discussion, which is when does personhood begin? Because that's truly, if we really pull back, that argument is if this, if X is where personhood begins, then X minus anything, it, anything prior to X is it's a woman's body. She can do whatever she wants with it. And anything after X is this is no longer just a woman's body. There's now a hu- another human being involved and we have to consider that human being and any rights that we think that woman has, the human being also has. That is the actual discussion to be had. I consider myself pro-life see, to the extent... Go, go ahead. It's actually more that because there's a paradox, um, okay. the name of which I forget, um, but I, I used it in an article where I actually, I actually discussed this very thing. Um, which is this, um, when do you have a pile of sand, right? One grain, is that a pile? No. 10 grains? No. Okay. A million grains? Yes. Okay. So is the, does, do you have a pile at 500,000? Right. Is that the number? Are we really saying that 499,000 isn't? And then, no, that doesn't make sense. So in that case, there can be no piles, right? Because you can't draw the line. Well, clearly that isn't the case. So again, there's a met, there's a more philosophical problem here, where the idea, the, the, there's assumption going here that you can't have two things unless you can find you can define a boundary between them. That itself is questionable, and um, so I'm just raising that. Um, yeah, yeah. By the by the way, um, please, I'm so glad we're having this discussion because the uh, one of the my best articles I wrote last year was called. Um, uh, the mistake you make in every political argument. Yes, and I yeah. use the abortion one as a um, a very kind of detailed case study. I mean, I can go on, but yeah, yeah, no, and and it's it's it it it, it is not it, it, the and it, and the problem is it not only is a flashpoint and it and it has a, a lot of logical fallacies built into it. We're talking about 
human beings and when we start to live. It varies. Another one is age of consent. So almost all of us agree that it's not right for a 50-year-old to have sex with a three-year-old. I think you're not, you're going to find maybe less than a tenth of a percent of people that think that that's acceptable in any way. Almost everyone agrees that it is perfectly fine for an 18-year-old to have sex with a 17-and-a-half-year-old, right? Like, I mean, almost. Mm-hmm. Again, you'll find some people are like, no, unless it's the exact age of kid. But, but almost everyone in a consensual act, uh, and, and some may say, well, they have to be married. Okay, fine, then they have to be married. But, but the actual ages, so long as whatever other precepts you have about when sex is acceptable have been met, 18 and 17-and-a-half are okay. Most of us agree that it's wrong for a 25-year-old to have sex with a 12-year-old, okay? Most of us agree. You're not going to have a slightly larger number of people that go, well, you know, if this, blah, 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 blah. But but most of us agree, including me, that that, that it's okay. Most of us agree it's okay for a 19-year-old to have sex with a 17-year-old. Most of us probably disagree that it's okay for a 20-year-old to have sex with a 15-year-old. Maybe yeah, yeah, most yeah, of yeah. us agree. Yeah. And you can go, where is that line, both in terms of the of the older person and the younger person? And it, and if you even try to broach this subject, mm. people me are like, wait a second, especially if they have kids, they're like, kids of any age, even if they're adults at this point, yeah, yeah, yeah. have this conversation with a parent man they immediately wait a second are you about to defend pedophilia and it's like no i'm asking you and and that's why i started just asking i would say well when do you think it is what are you trying to say i'm not trying to say anything when do you think it is because i honestly don't even know and i would say that i don't know i know that i have no interest in teenagers to begin with so i certainly this is not a you know know, me trying discussion yeah yeah exactly yeah this is truly like a yeah this is well it's, it's academic and it's an important one too but this is not me trying to like mess with your teenager like it's it, i zero interest at all i'm not even at this point you really have to impress me even in your mid-20s before i i've just it's, i'm not this is not i'm an, i'm getting i'm almost 40 i'm not one of these like looking for a, a young well first of all i'm married but even if i wasn't so this it's not me it's not me but it's a it's a serious discussion to be had but if you try to have it people are like whoa whoa, 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 whoa. are you about to especially if you tell me you're a libertarian they're like wait a second i've heard about the whole what if the child consents things what, what are you about to do and abortion's a similar thing where you're talking about something that is an incredibly nuanced thing to talk about and yet people are because it's such a a, a visceral thing people mm-hmm. have drawn their lines in the sand how do you apply what we call the Chris Reynolds attorney at law principle H to uh, to this you know to this thing? How how would you apply that? Let's say you're, you're and I don't know what you let's say that you're a uh, very uh, uh, you know uh, uh, extreme pro choicer and I'm a very extreme pro lifer. Um, how do you approach that discussion with me using so this principle? I I told you about the article that I wrote called um, the mistake you make in every political argument. Right. Um, the follow-up article to that was called um, "How Facts Get Chosen and Minds Get Changed," and the I could give you a long answer to what you said, and in fact, the long answer is in that second article. Precisely, the long answer is in that second article. But okay, the general point in answer to your question is that um, we have 
visceral. We've used the word visceral a few times on the show. Um, viscerally felt moral intuitions. And what you need to do is, if you're having an argument about age of consent or abortion, or whatever, is to actually get directly down to the driving moral intuition of the person that you're arguing with. You've got to be able to find it and feel it. And then you could you can acknowledge it. Um, most of the time when it comes to these kind of issues, most people aren't aware, they couldn't articulate to themselves, the actual, the feeling, the viscerally felt moral intuition that they experience essentially as an argument, right? So um, you're, you're saying they, they you're saying they, they you're the saying sentence. they can't you're saying they can't articulate that. No, no. Most people right. are not even aware, let alone able to articulate the viscerally felt moral intuition that determines mm. which facts about the world they believe. Right. No. So no, with the case, no. with yeah. say again. No, I was saying no. They can't. They definitely right. cannot. They probably don't. Like you said, they don't even know. Much less articulate. It's coming from a very, very innate right. part of them. Yeah. Right. So when you're dealing with this, which is kind of like the hardest application of things, we're yes, about, yes, right? which is why you went to it. I get it. Right. Exactly. So you, yeah. You need you need to actually find the intuition that the person you're speaking to may not have found themselves. Now you can do this because even if you are a pro-choice person let's say, hmm. you can, knowing what the pro-life position is, it's murder, you can, you can think yourself into, you can, you can imagine, let's say even imagine a situation, which you don't think applies in the abortion case, but your interlocutor does, where you're horrified by murder. You can imagine a murder, right? Yes. You can, you can imagine what it would be like if you really believe that this, zygote with four cells was a human being my god you'd, fucking, you'd feel the same way you would be Milli scared. millions of them being killed every single year yes. and yes. not only that yeah. you wouldn't think that the pro-life person is evil for interfering with your body you'd think the pro-life person is morally derelict for not actually burning down every abortion clinic preventing yes. every murder it's like how is it if you believe that you're not out there. How can you even live with all the mass murder going on? Correct. Now, yes. you can, when you understand that this stuff is, this kind of stuff is driven by viscerally felt moral intuition that really doesn't get words except when you're putting the words on the facts that you believe about the world and your intuitions causes you to choose facts, right? right? In other words, this zygote is a human being. This zygote is just a collection of cells that obviously isn't a human being because it doesn't have any of the characteristics of a human being. Both of those two positions are reasonable within the respective paradigms. And you, you can find ways to feel, to access the intuition. And when it comes to things like this, you, that's what you have to do. And, and I actually give concrete examples of... Um, of how you might do that now um, in the article. Now here's here's an interesting one. I'm not saying this is the best. It's just the first one that comes to my mind, right? Okay. Um, imagine. Uh, so I used to be very religious. I am no longer, um, but I know a bit about the Bible and the liturgy and that kind of thing. And mm -hmm. so it was it was interesting to me that uh, that um, many of the let's say pure pro-life people in the United States have a religious basis for that view, 
Right? Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, so a lot of them are, they would self-identify, let's just say, Christian. Mm-hmm. Um, now, so I get it. Right? I completely understand that. Um, well, they, they, they believe that, that they believe God knit them in the womb. Christians and Jews from the our book, you know, from the from the from the actual book, and and to a lesser extent, Muslims. They're actually Muslims are actually more nuanced on this issue, believe it or not. But but um, uh, Christians and Jews in particular believe that God knit them in the womb at the very moment of conception, that they were fearfully made in that moment. Well, if that's the case. You can't well, kill that. Well, the thi- well, here's the thing. Yes, maybe. But there are Bible verses to the contrary. And um, interestingly, I mean, again, I was just going to pull this out as an interesting yeah, example. Yeah, yeah. But the liturgy, the original liturgy, like the, uh, the Anglican liturgy, um, that it says, we believe he will come again to judge the quick and the dead. Quick and the dead, right. Yep. Quick and the dead. Not the conceived and the dead. Not even the living and the dead, which is the modern bastardization. But the quick and the dead, and the quick has a very specific meaning. Right. right. The, the quickening is when the woman first feels the presence of the baby right. in in the womb. Now, I'm not saying therefore, right, pro-choice, right. But what I am saying, what I what you can do with by getting into the paradigm within which those intuitions live. Right, of your opponents. If you say something like that, you could you don't say, Hey, look, I got you. You say, Okay, well, this is interesting. What does, does this, this mean? Yeah, this, exactly. Right. What is, yeah. This, what, is that about anything? Is this word is there anything here to consider? Now, yeah. it's, there's many things you can do like that on both sides. Um, and I outline many in that in that second article. Um and, and the article, by the way, uh, you know, how facts get chosen and mind gets changed, is about the general point of um our moral universes, um determine um, or correlate with our moral intuitions that drive our political views via determining the facts that we believe about the world, not the values we have about them. Now, this is really interesting. When we're having the abortion argument, somebody's saying, you're a murderer, right? And somebody's saying, you're trying to control my body. But here's the thing. If you actually take it out of the abortion argument and you just say to both sides of that, are you okay with murder? They both say no. If you say yeah, to both yeah. sides, are you okay with um, imposing on the inside the bodies of other people? They both say no, right? No. So no. it's not the values that have the disagreement, even though it feels like a disagreement of values when we're having the abortion discussion. It's actually, uh, to your earlier point, a disagreement about facts. In this case, what is a human being? What is a person? Yeah. But then so the critical question becomes, how are the facts determined? Well, they're determined by viscerally felt moral intuitions. So you have to go to those. And that's that's the deep art of this. But, but now fa- we're but facts don't here. facts don't care about your feelings. Facts are rooted in your feelings. Not always. One plus one the, is two, regardless of how you feel about it. The experience is yep. true. Yes. Yep. Yes. Yes. Yep. Um, you know, and there's something called the Humean uh, the Humean divide. The Humean oh. Is it called the divide? Something like that, which is that you can't you can't get to an ought from an is, right? You can't oh, okay. get to an ought from an is. This is an, an an important thing in philosophy, moral philosophy, right? That that whatever you believe about the the material world can never determine your moral values. So said Hume, and a lot of think you know paper has been you know written on about this. Um, However, Hume's law. Hume's law. When it comes, when it, no, well, no, it's got another name. Um, but, but yes, whatever. Um, 
But the fact is, neurologically, we're actually wired, right? So ironically, there's a physical basis, not only from deriving an ought from an is, but we actually, in another way, derive is from the ought, in a way. And um, you've got to understand that. And so I, as I say, I've mentioned that article a ton of times now, but it's all in there. It's all in there. Well, and there we'll I say it, it's quite a sophisticated should... article. Yeah, and if you shoot that over to me, we'll put it in the notes. And of course, you know, if you go to robinkerner.com, you can you can see yeah. all of this stuff. Yeah. But but yeah, I mean it's it's this is a perfect example of the problem with talking religion, politics, even sports, like really talking like stuff with people, especially people that aren't into talking about this stuff, is that they're very quickly gonna the the less um and, and it's 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 worth the the less uh they have actually spent the time fleshing it out the more likely they are to immediately fall back on that on that intuition of this is right you're wrong and not just you're wrong you're attacking me like you yeah. are actually attacking what i believe and you're and not just what i believe but for example in abortion you're attacking the babies or you're attacking the women hey, or murderer. you know what could be worse right yeah you're a mur- you're either a, yeah you're a murderer in both cases, more and more I'm seeing in the in the, the pro-choice crowd, they're saying, well, you're a murderer if you're pro-life because they, they're still going to try to get abortions uh, and, and now they're going to die. And women are going to die as a result of your pro-life, your, your anti-choice activism is going to result in women dying, therefore you're a murderer. And, you know, in the immigration I, debate, any of these debates, and, and I, I struggle not to do it because I'm an anarchist. I think the whole thing's murder. Like, I, I you know, taxation stuff, the government's an imposition on our lives. It's hard for me not to tell my, like, dad or, you know, my, you know, whoever, you know, someone I love and care about and I know doesn't want to be that, like, well, what you're advocating is kind of murdery. And, and, but, but how do you do that without basically telling the person, I think you're a terrible person and you can't. So you have to come at it from the, the belief that they are coming from a good place and then go from there. Yeah. You know, and, and you know, let's just be clear. Sometimes there are terrible people, right? I mean, I'm not oh, yeah, yeah, naive, yeah. Um, you know, relativist or anything, but you, what you can do is you can, you know, another I mean, a hugely important principle in sales, let alone political persuasion is to meet the objection up front. And if I know that when I share with you, my view, you're going to hear that. I think you're a murderer. What I can do is I can preempt that. And I can say, right. look, I know how this is going to sound to you, but um, let me let me just explain why it feels this way to me. I completely get that other people might feel just as strongly and feel the same things about me for other people. Like you can pack it up. You can right. you can own the fact that, you know, this is going to sound a bit strange, that that actually thinking that somebody's a murderer for their points of view is a lot more sensible and a lot more common than... Uh, than people expect. And therefore we shouldn't get all, we shouldn't actually think it's such a big deal. Like being a murder, like doing yeah, no, yeah, yeah. murder is actually less of a big deal as long as you're not wielding the knife. I'm not saying it's not a big deal, but you see what I mean? I mean, because precisely because it does go this way, if you stand on principle about anything, you do quickly get to that point. The logical that, con- the logical it. conclusion is that someone who disagrees with me a lot is going to cause people to die, and yes. therefore, so even if I don't think they're a murderer, quote unquote, I think that what they're advocating for is going to result in people dying, and that yes, that's let's be, you know, and let's be clear, right? In a manner of speaking, you know, I, I mean, I was obviously I was passionate against uh, 
a bunch of the American wars, right? Second Iraq War and, and, and so on and so on. Um, there were people voting to kill babies in Baghdad. I mean, that's true. So from where I sit, okay, well, they're murder. But you know what? We're all doing things that contribute to murder all the time, right? Once you go down there, yeah. Oh, well, hold on. I'm paying my tax, yep. right? Because I don't want to be put in jail. Because I don't so want to be put in jail. a little bit contributing to murder than actually spend a life, in, right? So we're all doing it. So, so the yep. fact that you can level an accusation that's that terrible against someone doesn't make them any different from you. It's only a matter of degree. It's a matter of quantity, not quality. Yeah. Um, and and we just and the humility is that's really the humility that's so important. I mean, with libertarians, you know, we talked about um, some of the the traits um, that some libertarians have that maybe if, frustrate effectiveness. When you, know, when you call when you called me autistic. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, a lot of people will go to an anarchist. I mean, I, I do this all the time. I'm at these events all the time, right? Where I'll talk to my anarchist friends and they'll, you know, that anything that is anything that you advocate that isn't their idea of pure anarchist utopia is essentially, well, some, you know, some would even say murder or whatever, but yeah, whatever it is. Um, you bootlicker. But they, got, but they drove there on a public road. So I'm like, okay. So what are we doing? We're just talking, right? You know, and, and at the end of the day, being principled is how many of your, to what extent are you actually prepared to take the pain of acting on your principles rather than compromising them? It, it, and, and we're all, you know, I, I think it's very hard. I, I don't know that you can divide the world up into two camps, principled and not principled, based on, you know, grandstanding on statements about anything. I, I just, you know, show me, show I, yeah, me the perfect... I think there are definitely people that are truly not principled. I think like a lot of politicians that are just pure cynics, they are just in it for themselves. To, and, and, and there are a lot of people that are like that. I think overall, most people have some principle. To, to, to speak to your part about public roads, just to clarify for people who may think that you're doing the roads fallacy that, oh, you can't be an anarchist if you use public roads. That's not what he's saying. Because I, I immediately know where a lot of people are going to go with that. Um that's not what he's saying. What he's saying is that you're using public roads is because you don't have another viable option. To get to that thing, you have to use a public road. Unless you want to walk on the, <laughs> the shoulder. And then you're really, you're still using a public road. There's really not a way other than trespassing over many people's properties. Thousands oh, of people's properties. But, but, here's, but here's why it's interesting. What you could do is you could try and find private means to find out all of the landowners between where you are and the libertarian convention. You could call them all up and get permission. And, right. that, and you could say completely treat your principles. The and fact climb over their fences. And right? It, may, it kind of makes my point even more strongly. Because right. who's going to do that? To some degree, you have sacrificed your most pure version of your principle for the sake of convenience, which I use, I have... In my wallet, I have Federal Reserve notes. My God, yes. I mean, even yes. minor, even a, even a lot of conservatives are against the Federal Reserve, and yet I'm not like openly tr trading Bitcoin every day. I have some Bitcoin, but I'm not, I'm not, you know, yeah. I, you know, I'm not exchanging Bitcoin yet because it's not right now viable. So to we all to some, the point he was making is we all to some degree. So have have made an acceptable compromise to us where maybe your kids in a public school whatever that 
I am doing this even though it goes against my principle and even though I advocate against it and for a better option because at least for now, I don't have a good option. And so if someone takes that a little bit further and says, well, I'm participating in in Larry Sharp. I am coming up with a program where we're going to give every kid at $16,000, $20,000 that they can do whatever they want education-wise or use it to start a career or whatever. No, it doesn't meet my, 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 my principles of how things should be, but it is what I believe to be the best compromise in face of reality, like you said, an unprincipled world, the reality of what we have now, this is so much better than that. And I don't even necessarily agree with that plan, but I get why he's doing it. I'm not going to call him a bootlicker for it. And that's right, the point and, and I would go even further, right? You, you know, if you're going to argue, like he could also make the case, and the, this case often a, is a good one to make, is often true, that by making what looks on the surface like something of a compromise, you actually create a situation in which getting to the the agreed on final goal, like the uncompromising goal, is actually easier. So it's not that you compromise there because it's just a step in the right direction, and then you stop in a better place, but that it is actually a step toward where you all want to go. So the only argument is, are you getting there in one step or 10? And or is that one of the 10 steps that would get you there or not? Right. Which are questions. And this is why in my work and, 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 and reasonable people and principled people can disagree in each case on the difference between the two. But in my work, I say, look, You've got to understand the fu- the fundamental difference, ironically, the difference in principle between a principled compromise and a compromise of principle. You never do the second, but people can disagree about what the first looks like. And if you want to actually ha- be principled, which means ha- change the world such that your principles are instantiated, you have to discuss the first. You have to. You, 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 you have to. You have to. I, and you, yeah. Yeah, you have to and you have to acknowledge that none of us is living purely to principle. Because if we were, for example, as an anarchist, that street right there is a public road. And in order for me to order something using Amazon, I have to participate in taxation through the sales tax. I have to participate in the Federal Reserve by exchanging Federal Reserve notes for for uh, you know that purchase. I have to walk across a public street, and I have to open a mailbox, or 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 open my door. Yeah, I did. Yeah, you know, bootlicker, bootlicker, and and listen, yeah, commie, listen, and Bernie, Bernie, are you? Yeah, <laughs> and but this is the real like. Or it's like, so, and and this is why a lot of people that are true hardcore anarchists, they become like more, and people in general that the more principled they become, or the more they would call themselves principled they become, the more introvert, they they are so disgusted by that. And this happens with a lot of hardcore uh, Christians and and people of other religions. They introvert, 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 they get more and more internal because they're so sickened by the world and the thought of compromising to even talk with one of those scumbags. And these are people that often end up killing people because... The only yes. way they can interact with the world is to destroy that, you know, as much evil as I can before they take me out. You've done nothing. You've accomplished nothing other than destroying your life, the life of those other people who also thought they were doing the right thing, more than likely. Very few people wake up and go, what evil can I do today? So you're really, like, just harming people that also thought they were doing the right thing. You've accomplished nothing other than making whatever you believe look ridiculous. And 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 
you haven't helped anyone. You've 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 done harm. Um, and so that's why I've become very. I'm not sure I'd call myself a pragmatist to the extent that many people associate pragmatism. I'm still agnostic to the question as to whether or not electoral politics is even an effective way to accomplish change. But it might be. And for those who avidly think that it does, I'm not going to give you a hard time because A, I'm not 100% sure, but even if I didn't agree with you, I get that you're trying to do something. You're at least, as much flack as people give libertarian party activists and, you know, and, and, and any kind of activists in, in electoral politics, you're trying something. You're trying to do something. Yeah, you're exactly. trying to push and, the and argument think that's somewhere. That's such a great point, Spike. I mean, you know, it's live and let live, right? I mean, especially for it, libertarians. It is. Right? Exactly. I mean, it's like, you know, the, 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 I'm an ep- fundamentally an epistemic libertarian. The reason I'm into liberty is because what, whatever else is or isn't true, I don't know enough shit to know better for, than you what's good for you. Exactly. Like, I just yes. that, that the idea that I possibly could is, is it insane, right? So I'm an epistemic libertarian. So given that, um, I don't see that there's a way that I personally don't see there's a way to be a consistent libertarian, let alone an anarchist. If I'm, you know, whilst believing that I do know better than everybody, everybody on how to accomplish things in this world that has loads of variables, you know, and, and I mean, for themselves, mind can, can handle them, right? You and for. And for themselves as individuals. So not just I have the best prescription for society at large or the world at large. I know better than Robin Kerner how Robin Kerner impossible. should be I living, know it's impossible. living his life on a day-to-day basis. I as an anarchist, which, which it, it, and follow the logic here, if that's the case, I should be working to control Robin because I know better than Robin how he should be being Robin. I know how to Robin better than Robin. Therefore, and, and all of you that are, I know how to you better than you. Why am I an anarchist or a libertarian? I should be f- like a hardcore North Korean communist forcing you to at every level to do things. If I follow the logic of that. So obviously I don't know. You know, actually um, some people will be thinking, yeah, but other people do that too. Not just libertarians and they're right. The reason oh, everyone does it. Really yeah. Interesting, yeah. The reason it's particularly interesting for libertarians, though, is that there's an internal contradiction in the philosophically when when right. libertarians do it that doesn't kind of exist for non-libertarians. And I actually yes. wrote about this years ago when I wrote an article called something like "The Opposite of Tyranny." Um, is the author no? The opposite of liberty isn't tyranny; it's orthodoxy. And by the way, that's exactly what George Orwell said, but I hadn't realized that when I wrote the article. The opposite of liberty is orthodoxy. Now, are you saying orthodoxy applied to how you interact with people? So, but basically, I, I unpacked it in a more recent article where I said, "Beware the enlightened." Um, it was called "Beware the Enlightened Ones," and I talked about the scientism versus science, right? Right. Um, orthodoxy in the sense of um, this is the truth. I know everything I need to know about the truth. Therefore, I don't need to let your data or your experiences or any of my interactions with the world um, uh, affect my belief. I can discount that possibility out of the gate because I've already arrived. Now, that is called in, in physical sciences that I that approach the world is called scientism. And it's the opposite of science. And it's very interesting to me as a scientist and a philosopher of science that the discipline that we have that unarguably, I would say, brings us 
has brought us closest to the truth, has made the most moves towards the truth in its own domain, is science, is, let's say, the physical sciences. And that has done so by having the axiom that everything it knows is false, of knowing that it doesn't know, and looking to find where it is wrong. Whereas in politics, what most people do isn't the political analog of that. They do the political analog of scientism, which is, I know I've already arrived, so what I can do is ignore all the data of your experience when you tell me that my libertarian um, utopia is actually going to be really shit for you. Well, I can just, because you don't get it, right? right? It's like I'm disengaged. Anything you tell me at that point means that you don't get it. Right? I, have, so I, have a, I have achieved the singularity and a, a right. transcended humanity by knowing all as a, as a god on earth is really what people are saying. And, and it's what we think about our beliefs. And that's what's so crazy about it is even in this moment, you, Robin Kerner, believe you're right. And as humble as you are, you believe you're right or else you wouldn't believe it. It's, it's, I'm sure there's a paradox name for that too. You can be as humble, as, as, as soul-searching, as I am love reading stuff I disagree with now. I covet it and I always look for yeah. stuff because I wa- the way I look at it is if I argue with you and I say I'm right and you go, no, I'm right and here's how I can prove it and I can look at that and go, wow, now I'm right. Because I've, I've, you've, you've shown me this thing. I, I, I'm always, I, and I, and I love it. But still, in that is that I'm right. Like I'm so right. I'm so right that I'm always more right, right? But so that, so that, like, so that's an implied thing. But you can't approach everyone like that, and you can't approach things like that because you're attacking everyone. And and it's, I mean, it's what you're saying basically. I mean, and it's, it is super interesting because. Like, as a physicist, we know that our physics is wrong. Quantum mechanics and general relativity, which describe the world with amazing precision, are incompatible. We know that what we believe fundamentally is wrong. Literally, oh, yeah. it has yeah. to be wrong. But, but it's closer to the truth than anything else. And it's so good that we can get on planes and not lose our lives when they fall out of the sky. Right? It's, so, so there's a way of, of being arbitrarily close to right and acting accordingly whilst knowing you're wrong. And that is the, that is actually the reality in which we live. And it is a basis for humility. And, you know, it shouldn't be as hard as all of that because it, there's no other game in town. And the earth so, is flat. Uh, hmm? And the earth is flat. <laughs> yeah, quite. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, that's you know, my um, favorite. I, that is my favorite response to that ever. That is the most, both the most British and my most favorite response to that ever is, yeah, quite. That's how I'm, that's how I'm going to respond to that from now on. That's perfect. So, okay. I love it. I absolutely love it. So Robin, before you are an absolute gem of a human being, I love having you on. I always love having great conversations with you. If I could have a Robin minute on every show where you just came on and blew everyone out. I wish I could. I wish your schedule could afford that. Um, before I let you go, anything that you haven't had a chance to plug, talk about, any p- final points you want to make, anything that you want to talk about, I give you the floor for as long as you want. The floor is yours, Robin Kerner. Well, look, I, I have just redone my Robin Kerner website a, a couple of months ago. Um, ha- I haven't really talked about it much. So go to please go to robinkerner.com. Um, whether you're looking for um, you know, a speaker... Uh, candidate or activist training work, you know, in, in the political communication and political persuasion, psychology, etc. Um, 
it's all there. You can see the different stuff I do. If you're looking for branding for a campaign, um, you know, I, I, it, all the kind of stuff I do is laid out on, on robinkerner.com now. Um, and also, you know, you can get a copy of my book there if you can keep it, which you kindly mentioned before. Or if you don't want any of that, but you just kind of like the stuff I do, um, stick your name in the box, the subscribe box, and I'll add you to my um, low quantity, high quality mailing list. Um, which I'm not spending near enough time on, but I've got to be collecting names, right? But the, yeah, so, the more people that are added, the more time I'll spend on it. Yeah, that's that's true. I'm also on Twitter, so that's R Kerner, R K O E R N E R is my handle. Um, oh, and you know what? Recently, I did a few good um, interviews on YouTube, which I'm really pleased with. The first was with Andrew Yang. The second was with a guy called. Um, John Wood Jr. from an organization, Better Angels, that I mentioned at the top of the show mm -hmm. related to the, the uh, Project H. But recently I did, the most recently, I did an interview with Amon Bundy, yep. the Amon Bundy, yeah, I following statements about immigration mm -hmm. that um, I think was one of the most phenomenal uh, things I've, I've seen him come up, you know, when we got going. Um, yeah. We really got into immigration in some detail. Um, and uh, he, that was that was kind of cool. So uh, check any of that out. Um, what else? You oh, and you, I forgot to, uh, you've thrown your hat, hat in the ring, haven't you? <laughs> well, I don't know. I've kind of thrown a hat in a ring. Um, you know, I, I, I obviously want to save liberty in America, and that's still my, my big shtick. But um, if, if Brexit isn't done by October 31st, I and a lot of other Brits, because I'm still a Brit, even though I'm also an American, mm -hmm. will be very angry. So I did actually today, for the first time ever in my life, I've done anything like this. Um, I sent an application to the Brexit Party to stand for uh, Parliament um, if there is an election, in the event, a general election, in the event that Brexit doesn't happen as promised. Um, I'm sure they've got tens of thousands of great candidates who don't live 5,000 miles away in Seattle. So, uh, you know, I'm not holding my breath. But yes, I, I did um, that. Um, and I would be delighted. I would be delighted to see in America a vehicle as inspiring and effective as the Brexit Party to get them to do the same thing in in the US. Mean until that time I'm happy to help any liberty candidates in the US. Um, any, but I anywhere in the Anglo any anywhere in the Anglosphere, Robin Kerner is available. Exactly right. yeah. Anywhere where English is the primarily spoken language, yes. Robin is here. Um so robinkerner.com that has uh your the interviews and everything else on it, right? I haven't got the interviews. That's just uh, YouTube. Just check if you my name into YouTube. Okay, I, I'll, I'll look I'm those up and I'll, I'll I'll put stop. those in the show notes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, okay, yeah. The articles, okay. Uh, some of my articles are there. Um, but yes, that would be. I would appreciate that. Thank well, you. Well, Robin, thank thank you, thank you again for 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 joining us. And guys, uh, if if you'll stick around for the outro, I want to talk to you a little bit before I let you go. But guys, thank you again for joining us on my fellow Americans. Um, be sure to tune in tomorrow on Muddy Waters Media. Thursday for the writer's block. Matt even told me who his guest is. I literally forgot it as soon as he told me, but it's going to be great. Be sure to check that out uh, tomorrow. Friday, I think we're having an episode of uh, uh, Mr. America, The Bearded Truth with Jason Lyon. I think his back is okay enough for him to be resuming that again for his whole, what I call his wholesome Sabbath episode. 
I only I call it that. No one else calls it that. I just do it. Uh, his Shabbat Shalom episode of uh, of the Mr. America, the Bearded Truth. He's total Gentile. Um, have a great weekend, and then uh, join us again for Monday, where I believe again we'll be having uh, the Monday the non Shabbat episode of Mr. America, the Bearded Truth with Jason Lyon. Join us again. Join us uh, that Tuesday for the Muddy Waters of Freedom, where Matt Wright and I parse through the uh, week's events uh, with the uh, with the uh, the special, uh, I don't have a good way to describe. Just tune in. It's, it's, it's two guys, someone who's also like me, and we we just kvetch over what happened for the week. And then uh, tune in again next week, uh, next Wednesday, for my fellow Americans, while I will be interviewing Chloe Valderi and talking about the theory of enchantment. Theory of enchantment. So that'll be fun. So, guys, again, thank you to Robin Kerner. Thank you all for tuning in. And God bless. Oh!